From Al Jazeera English, this is The Debrief. I'm Laurentiu Colintinanu. We're going to Romania today to meet some women who've probably had the worst year of their lives. But first, here's a quick reminder. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. So go ahead and subscribe to get our episodes sent straight to your device. This week, I'm taking you to Bucharest to a shelter for women who've been trafficked. For their safety, the location must remain a secret. So I can only tell you that I'm walking up to a house. It's on the outskirts of the city and it's got a big yard out front. As I am approaching the gate, I see one, two CCTV cameras that are surely recording me right now. And as I'm about to ring the doorbell, there's a video intercom. So this is basically the third camera that's watching me right now. Roughly 800 people were trafficked in Romania or from Romania last year. Some as young as 12 or 13. Mainly women, mainly to Western Europe, mainly for sex. How did that happen? Most of the women at the shelter were taken from Romania and forced into prostitution in Western Europe. In countries like Germany, France, Belgium or the Netherlands where prostitution is legal. And it's exactly this legal status that became a magnet for traffickers from Eastern Europe. I just entered the yard and there is this really big Romanian shepherd. Hey boy, how are you? And his name is Lion. So full disclosure, this is not the first time that I am here. And Lion has this, has this face, like he's the last line of, of defense of this place. But, you know, if you know him and if he gets to, to trust you, then you're okay. I was looking desperately for a big dog. Monica Bosef is the manager of the Open Door Foundation, which owns this shelter. She runs this place almost entirely on donations. To me, this is what a dog should look like, you know. It has to be big and fluffy and we had no money in the budget to get a dog. And so I told my colleagues uh, that I'm going to start praying for a dog. And they looked at me and was like, mm-hmm, you're right. <laughs> it's like, so when are you going to take your medication you know, for the day? Um, one day, uh, my colleagues just, you know, walk in the room and say, Moni, did you, you know, what's with the dog? Did you see the dog that's in our um, courtyard? He just moved in and he had been our best buddy ever since. Um, so yes, it is a gift uh, for me. Yes, I do believe that I, you know, I received a special gift when he came to us. Belief in God plays a pretty big role throughout this story. You'll see what I mean in a bit. First though, let me tell you how this shelter actually works. At the time I visited, there were five girls living there. Most of them were underaged. Two of them also had children. They were referred to Monica by Romania's organized crime police, or the country's anti-trafficking agency, or police in Western European countries. Once a girl arrives here, a whole team goes into action. A social assistant, a psychologist, a doctor, a lawyer, and a teacher. That should give you an idea of the effort it takes to help these girls deal with their horrific experiences, and basically shepherd them towards some degree of self-reliance and independence. 
Then there's Monica. She manages the place, yes, but she does so much more. Her own past experience gives her a unique understanding of these women and helps her relate to them. After my parents uh, divorced uh, when I was four years old, my father's um, parents came to my mother and asked permission to have me on weekends and on vacations. And she actually said, sure, why not? Because you're um, her grandparents just as well as my parents are. Well, little did we know, little did she know, uh, that my father's father would start abusing me sexually um, ever since I was four years old. That went on um, and until I was nine years old and I had an uncle who uh, did the same. But by then, I thought, well, this is what happens if you're a girl. And as years went by, um, I literally loathed myself. There were uh, days in which I really kind of wanted to hurt myself because I, I was convinced that I had not been a girl, these men would have never been tempted. I was 17 <clears throat> and um, I was at the Black Sea and I was raped. Um, I had two uh, guys who held a knife to my throat. So um, yes, up to a point, um, I may say that I share something um, with them. Uh, though I know that their um, hurts and their wounds are much deeper and greater. So here's someone with a whole history of abuse who says what she went through is nothing compared to the stories of the girls who were trafficked. Um, sometimes it's pretty amazing when I get to, you know, we sit down and we talk. And um, <clears throat> so all of a sudden, you know, one of them would say, hey, and what would you know, you know, what it's like for you, like you've never been through this. So, you know, I, I just let her, you know, say whatever she wants to say and then... I'm like, well, I don't know. Do you mean like when I was four and my grandfather did this or I was nine and my uncle? And all of a sudden, you know, her face is just falling apart and she's like, what? Seriously? So, like, but look at you now, you know, how is it possible? Um, I'm, I'm honored that I get to share this with them. Um, I'm honored that I get to tell them that for me... Um, God was uh, actually the one who put me together, who took all my broken pieces and um, glued them with, with uh, his special gold dust. Um, and I believe that this is possible in absolutely every single case. And um, this is uh, the beauty of our work, actually, um, to see that survivor at the end of her time with us um, walk out of this place or walk out of whatever place she's at, right? Uh, with her head up, knowing exactly <clears throat> that she is a woman with dignity uh, who is going to be loved and respected, um, knowing exactly her value, because one interesting thing is when they come to us, absolutely all of them know their price, the price that's been paid for them, the price they were sold for or they bought for, um, but neither one of them uh, knows the value they have. Monica came up with the idea of building a shelter after a series of dreams. It started um, literally by um, waking me up in the middle of the night um, and I found myself waking up and crying. And all I could see, um, every time I was closing my eyes to pray, everything that I could see before my eyes were heads down and hands up in the air, um, 
who are these people? I don't know them. I don't even know what's their situation. I finally woke up my husband and I said, <laughs> um, I'm done carrying this load on my own. Um, you need to you know, pray with me because um, I have no idea what to do with it. Monica's husband, his name is Christian, is a pastor in Bucharest. After a series of sleepless nights, Monica asked his church group, which is also her church group, to join her in prayer for the people she kept seeing in her dreams. Then she found out that human trafficking was huge in Romania and began visiting several public institutions. Is human trafficking a problem in Romania? And if yes, how big? And what is the greatest need our country has that no one wants to address? Well, at that time, I was told that <clears throat> it's a huge problem to, you know, um, the lack of an emergency shelter, basically a place where the survivors can be taken to right after they've been rescued or uh, escape themselves. Well, I said, well, if you're convinced this is what's, you know, most needed, this is what will open. With donated money, Monica started this center in 2013. And since then, she and her team have cared for 297 girls. I sat down to talk to one of them. We're not allowed to use her real name, so we'll call her Maria. It all started with a friend request on Facebook. It was a guy I didn't know anything about, but then realized he was living just a couple of blocks away from me. We met, we started dating. But my parents didn't agree with the relationship because they knew his family. So they said I couldn't see him anymore. Two weeks or a month later, I ended up moving in with him. That happened when Maria was 20. She's now 21. She met his family and they seemed nice in the beginning. The boyfriend wasn't working. So one day, his uncle suggested that they go to Germany and work at a Romanian restaurant there whose owner he knew. They left in December 2016. The day after they arrived, Maria's boyfriend took her and another girl to a club. It was a club in Germany where prostitution was happening. In the beginning, I didn't know how to react. This other girl brought two customers and she put me in a room with one of them. There was nothing I could do. I had no phone. When I got home, my boyfriend was upset and wanted that I keep doing this. He was asking why I didn't make more money. He took me to the club for another three nights, but I just sat in a corner. After that, he was furious. He beat me up and took me to work the streets. Maria and I are sitting outside the house in the front yard on a big swing. As I listen to her story of abuse and violence, I see that her feet don't touch the ground. She's really tiny. In the streets, whether I wanted or not, I was making money. I had this girl supervising me and clients every night. After four days, the police came for a routine check. They drove me to the station. I tried to make up a story because I was afraid of telling the truth. But then they brought in a lady translator. She was Romanian. She was really nice to me and said she could see it in my eyes that I was afraid and that she could sense my story wasn't true. We talked for a bit and in the end, I told her everything. 
Până la urmă m-a convins și am spus toate adevărul. Maria says her boyfriend kept on texting her while she was inside the police station, telling her to give them fake addresses and fake stories. Eventually, she says she ignored his messages and filed a complaint against him, his uncle, and a bunch of their friends. The police showed her pictures of them, which can only mean one thing. The traffickers were already on their radar. In mare parte, toate care îl cunoșteau. Most of the girls there knew him. At the club, there were a lot of Romanian girls. Like half of them were from Romania. In the streets, there was a Russian girl. One other, I have no idea about. And two or three were Romanians. His friends and his uncle's friends, all of them were pimping. None of them was working. After that, German police took Maria to a shelter. She called her mom and told her what she was going through. Her parents asked her to come home. Când am venit în România, m-am dus și am stat la o verișoară de-a mea, pentru că acasă nu aveam cum să mă duc. When I got back to Romania, I went and stayed with a cousin. I couldn't go home, because they were living just a couple of blocks away, and I was really afraid. So I stayed with my cousin for a couple of weeks. Then my mom got a call from the German police. They said Romanian cops wanted to talk to her. I then met some officers from the organized crime unit and the lawyer from the foundation. At first, I didn't want to come here. I didn't like how the word center sounded. I filled some complaints and then I agreed to come here. And it turned out to be fine. Dar am venit aici și a fost totul bine, pot să zic. I told you earlier that some of the cases were referred to the shelter directly from abroad. Well, while I was talking to Maria outside, Monica was inside talking to a delegation from the Swiss police. They were in Romania to inspect several centers where they could send Romanian victims found in Switzerland. We visited several brothels, um, and um, I was actually in total shock to find out that um, the high majority of women working in these brothels um, are Romanians. A lot of them even come from the same area. They all have a history of uh, being recruited uh, by somebody and brought over they all, um, most of them share even the same recruiter. A lot of them said they don't want to be there, they don't want to be doing this. You know, stories where, you know, um, the families um, know what they do. Uh, the families um, are good friends with the recruiters or the recruiters is actually a family member. Many times the husbands are the ones, you know, who, who bring their wives, you know, to these places. Do you think that there is sort of a magnet or a pull factor from, you know, Western countries where prostitution is legal towards Eastern countries and, you know, that there is a pull factor for traffickers to get girls from a poorer background and traffic them to Western Europe? 
basically thinking that, you know, yeah, we're going to put them up in a brothel and we're going to be safe because it's legal over there. So do you think that this pull factor exists? Oh, yeah. There is um, a disturbing high number of um, girls, women uh, who are being trafficked, you know, in these countries where prostitution is legalized. And I think this is one of one big problem that these countries um, are actually now facing, that it's really difficult to uh, keep track of who's being trafficked, you know, and how. Maria was only trafficked in Germany for a couple of weeks, but many girls spend years in that situation before being rescued. Maria says just because it happened to her for a very short time doesn't mean she's any less traumatized by it. I can't say I'm over what happened. There are still nights when I can't sleep and think of the nights I was in the streets. I think of the beating. I think of his uncle beating his girlfriend and all of his friends who threatened me not to upset my boyfriend or I'd have to deal with them. There's still stuff eating away at me. A couple of days later, on a Sunday, Monica and the girls are at church. Her husband's leading the prayers. I, I believe this is an unshakable belief that I have and conviction that there's no way, um, you know, one can brush against um, God's love and grace and still remain the same. Amen. There's a sturdy man sitting next to Monica and a blonde woman next to him. He's a volunteer at the shelter, but 10 years ago, he was something altogether different. I can't tell you his name either. He was involved with a Romanian mob and naming him would make his life difficult. So let's call him John. One more thing, keep this guitar tune in mind. It's important for this part of the story. Mă ocupam cu, să spun așa, nu știu dacă se numește bine trafic, dar cu femeile care le punem, le băgăm la produs. I was involved in, I don't know if trafficking is the right word, but I was pimping girls. Well, I was a cook. I had a job like everyone else. But in my spare time, that's what I was doing. It was easy. I rented some apartments, put some ads out. In the poorer regions, there were a lot of girls who wanted to get into prostitution. So I got them in, I took all their money. Sometimes I would give them a bit of money too. And that's how the business went. If they wanted to leave, I generally wouldn't allow that. Only sometimes, the ones that didn't make enough money, I would sell them to others. Le vindeam, cum vine vorba, la alții care se ocupau cu așa ceva. I'm pretty sure selling people does qualify as trafficking. So John, by his own admission, was involved in trafficking women. But, Ten years ago, he went through a big change. It started with that blonde woman sitting next to him at church. That's his niece. She'd been going to Monica's church. 
one night, when John was drunk, she made him promise he would join her at church at least once. Sincer, am simțit atracție care n-am simțit niciodată. Honestly, I felt this attraction I couldn't explain. I had a hole in my stomach and at the same time a sense of happiness I never knew. People here at the church welcomed me and I saw there are some good people in this world. Over a couple of months, I quit the business entirely. My associate couldn't believe that I was giving up that kind of money. And when Monica opened the center, I thought to give back. I can't repay the debt for all my sins in 10 lifetimes, but I will try to serve God and teach these girls to avoid people like me. John had been in business with some very nasty people. And he was a pretty nasty person himself. I've been violent too. I had an apartment they called the prison. All the girls who didn't make enough money or who didn't listen to what I said would end up there. So when I went over there to give them some money for food, if they opened their mouth, I would sometimes shut it. I didn't break their ribs or anything. But now I think it was bad that I slapped them around a bit. Back then I considered it nothing. Yeah, like I said, a pretty nasty person. And for 12 long years. Getting out of that scene takes time. And perhaps some kind of epiphany? God changed my life and I've been trying to fix things. There is nothing I can do to take back what I did. But I try to counsel these girls so they don't end up like the ones I was pimping. For the last 10 years that he's been clean, John's cooked in restaurant kitchens, helped charities with construction work and some other odd jobs. And now he volunteers at Monica's shelter. He teaches the girls how to cook. He's taken on the role of a friend, a confidant. And sometimes even, uh, well, let's say, protector of sorts. When a lawyer represents a girl who is accusing someone like me, there are a lot of people behind those traffickers. I know that and I know them. That's why I go with them to court as a bodyguard. I'm no Schwarzenegger or Van Damme, but I've been there. And I need to care for my girls, so I put on the guy from the hood act. There were fights and all, but I did everything I could. There's that guitar sound that I asked you to keep in mind. The girl playing that song is John's youngest daughter. When I began this business, my youngest girl wasn't even born yet. Now my girls are 16 and 26 years old. I couldn't do what I did. I'd be ashamed. Let alone when I think that my girls could have ended up in the business. Back then, money ruled for me. But then my girls grew up. I don't think they know what I did. When I confessed in church, they weren't there. Honestly, I don't know. They never hinted they might know, and they never said anything to me. Our next and final stop on this journey is far away from Bucharest, 
It's a small town called Salcha, about 500 kilometers away. It takes a while to get there, so I'm going to take the time to tell you a bit about the scale of human trafficking in Romania. Go over the roundabout, taking the second exit. Basically, there are two ways of classifying trafficking victims in Europe. Suspected victims are the ones who police think are being trafficked. Identified victims are people who authorities are sure have been trafficked. In Romania, there's been a steady decrease in identified victims over the last decade. In 2007, for instance, there were 1,780 cases. Last year, that number went down to 756. Mind you, I'm talking about identified victims, so the total number, including those who are being trafficked as you listen to me, could be much higher. I wanted to find out what the authorities are doing to fight this. You arrive at your destination after 300 meters. I'm here to attend a human trafficking prevention class. They have these regularly in schools across the country. Specifically, I'm here to meet Liliana Orza. She's a police officer with Romania's anti-trafficking agency. Liliana spends most of her time visiting schools like this one, talking to kids about the dangers of human trafficking and teaching them how to avoid falling victim to it. Today, it's 7th and 8th graders, so 13 to 14-year-olds. She knows that most young people who are trafficked come from poverty. Most of these kids have relatives working abroad. Many of them think of leaving too after finishing school. So she warns them of the dangers looming behind job ads and tries to teach them how to verify if the ads are legit. Liliana hesitates a bit to bring up the next topic with kids that are so young. But the stats force her to do it. Romanian kids as young as 12 have been trafficked for sex. And she needs to tell these students about it. Sadly, another form of exploitation has picked up wind lately. I'm talking about sexual exploitation. Last year, 77% of all trafficking victims have been exploited for sex, and this year numbers have really exploded. Honestly, we hesitated in the beginning to come in front of you and talk about these things, but then we realized that we need to step up before people with not so good intentions do it. And she brings up what's called the lover-boy recruiting method. That's traffickers first making the victims fall in love with them and then asking them to do things like having sex for money, often with threats of violence. Just like what happened to Maria, the girl we spoke to back at the shelter. A recruiting method that wreaks havoc among young girls is the so-called lover-boy strategy. A young girl falls in love with somebody, thinks it's the love of her life, but sadly it turns out to be the nightmare of her life. Lately, this method has picked up big time and traffickers have become more sophisticated. Rather than kidnap someone, they prefer tricking girls into falling in love, and love is such a beautiful feeling, but it's misused when it becomes something altogether different. 
în vederea exploatării, vă spun că nu este cel mai, cel mai ok. Aveți Facebook? Things started on Facebook for Maria too, with a friend request. Liliana tells the kids that there are people constantly monitoring young girls' Facebook pages, waiting patiently for a weak moment to exploit them. Facebook gives you the option to express what you're feeling, and maybe you say you're sad or feeling depressed. When you post, you do it for your friends, but then there's people watching and noticing your mood. Then maybe you post that you are going somewhere. That's when traffickers know where you're going to be. So they're thinking, she's vulnerable, let's go meet this young lady. Three hundred and thirty-three people were convicted in Romania last year for human trafficking. Almost half of their victims were trafficked abroad exclusively in Western Europe, mainly for sex. 17 other people were also convicted last year, but for using the services of a human trafficking victim. That means basically having sex with a girl or a woman while being aware that she's been trafficked. That kind of convictions never happened before. Romania is the first EU country to have done this. But before you celebrate, remember, these are just official numbers of victims. And these are court cases where there has been evidence to support convictions. The sobering fact is that there are most probably many, many more women and kids who are being trafficked from Eastern Europe right now, mainly for sex in Western Europe. And we will most probably never know about them. That's it for this week. Besides me, Laurentiu Colintinanu, The Debrief is produced by Jasmine Bayomi and Mohsin Ali, who also manages our tech stuff. Our executive producer is Yasser Khan. Special thanks to our colleagues Maria Costa, Maria Petkova and Sorin Furkoi for all the help with the voiceovers. See you in a week. Mm-hmm.